So if you've watched Big Little Lies, you know that this show deals extensively with rape and sexual assault. If these are things that are triggering to you, this is probably not a podcast that you want to listen to. Okay, we're back for episode seven of big little podcast we're now sponsored by tostitos boda box wine and cadbury mini eggs um i'm Teresa, and i'm a jane slash bonnie i'm rebecca and i'm a jane slash madeline i'm carolyn and i'm a madeline slash renata it's the last time you get to say that yeah. <laughs> savor it i know i've enjoyed being a madeline slash renata i'm on a power trip here uh <laughs> Spoiler warning, but if you've gotten to this point and you haven't figured out that you should not be listening to this if you don't know the end, then or you just don't there's care. something wrong with you. So um, we're going to go straight into the recap and let Rebecca take it. So episode seven is titled, You Get What You Need and Ain't That the Truth. So this final episode is here and so is Perry's final beating of Celeste. Thank God. And we confirm what we've pretty much had suspicions about all along, that the kids can hear everything that's happening thanks to heating vents which have always been a spying child's best friend. Perry says, Celeste, you're fine. This asshole's got the nerve to say this and then tell the kids their mom has an upset stomach. I mean, the kids are smarter than this. So the monster, Perry's self-described nickname, is going to take the kids to school instead. He's back to calling Celeste Sparkles, which continues to be a mystifying nickname for such an otherwise elegant woman. Celeste makes an emergency trip to the therapist, who's still weirdly hostile towards, but now at least we know Celeste has got the apartment. Madeline is talking to douche director Joshua, Joseph, I want to call him Joshua, I don't know why, Joseph again, and Joseph is yelling at her about being a self-entitled rich bitch, which obviously Madeline is, but also like, Joshua, Joseph, you're being a dick, get your shit together. Ziggy doesn't want to go to school, he's pretending to be sick, but we learn that he knows who is hurting Annabella and doesn't want to tell because the culprit has everybody terrified. Though you would think that Chloe would know and also not be scared of this shit, which is a little bit of a plot hole, but that's an aside. Over at the coffee shop, Gordon is harassing Jane because apparently he doesn't know Jane and Renata are practically friends now, but it gives Tom, the coffee shop owner, a good excuse to come to Jane's defense and confess that he was only doing this because he wanted to impress her, to which Jane responds, you're not gay. (laughs) I ship it. It's great. They're going to be in love. Celeste is at her new apartment. She's struggling to set up Ikea furniture, which is the most relatable she's been all season. Uh, She flashes back to that morning when Perry threw a chair over her. Casual. Her day gets worse when Jane calls her to tell her that Max, uh, one of the creepy twins, is the bully who also pushed Skye, uh, which is Bonnie Nathan's daughter, and bit Amabella in addition to all the other horrible things that have happened to creepy Amabella. Jane assures her that kids grow out of being bullies. Celeste responds, sometimes they don't. Celeste is on this. So we got some foreshadowing time now. Madeline is talking to Abigail about her affair. She says, I'm holding on so tight to this idea of perfection that something has to give. Something is about to give. Renata yells at Gordon for being a weirdo creep and says, if I got shot in the head tonight, half these moms would say she wouldn't bother to duck. Which is, (laughs) Renata has developed some self-awareness at this point. Perry is being a creepy dick outside of the shower with his broken dick, trying to get everybody late for this party and also get some, even though his dick is broken. Yeah, like, like how? How is he trying to get some? Jane and Tom are on a date, but he rides his bike to her house so they have to Uber, which is not the most sexy thing to do on a first date. Fellas, if you're listening, please don't do that. 
So we're talking about this fun fundraiser, and I, I say that in air quotes because this is not a fundraiser, nor is it a trivia night. It is so bonkers, we can't even get into it right now. I mean, they literally have, like, paparazzi and a red carpet for what is being passed off as a trivia night, which is crazy. So as Celeste and Perry are leaving, he reveals that he saw a message from her property manager and knows that she's planning on leaving. Celeste looks at the kids like it's the last time she's going to see them, but she still happens to get in the car with Perry, which is like, do you have a death wish? Like, what are you doing? They end up parked somewhere that looks like the edge of a cliff, which has been an ongoing theme, and he's got her locked in the car. Luckily, Oblivious Renata comes on the scene and knocks on the window and inadvertently saves Celeste's life. So that's a character arc if I've ever seen one. Bonnie sings, Ed sings, Nathan sings. It's all a little bit confusing. Like, can they all sing well? Are they all drunk? Or are they all just lip syncing for their life? I don't know. It's very confusing. Celeste uh, books it into the safety of the crowd. She calls the sitter and tells them to take the kids to the new apartment ASAP. Meanwhile, Ed and Nathan have a creepy bickering session, which ends in Nathan or Ed spilling a drink on Bonnie and like creepily patting at her boobs, which is <laughs> awful. Uh, Joseph, I always want to call him Joseph, right? Yeah. Joseph and his wife are also lurking and glaring and fighting in an attempt to make us believe that somebody other than Perry or Celeste could actually end up dead. But at this point, I think we're all pretty clear that it's Perry and Celeste or nothing. Madeline and Jane are off having a drama-filled cry fest about Madeline's infidelity. Renata shows up to apologize that she knows Max is not a bully and not Ziggy. Bonnie notices from very much a distance that Perry's being a monster follows him when he follows Celeste. Celeste finds Madeline, Jane, and Renata. Everybody's hysterical. Perry shows up. He pretty much tries to attack Celeste in front of all her friends. Jane finally recognizes that Perry is the Saxon Banks rapist, and everybody knows. We end up in a flash forward to the police. We now know that somebody is dead, but they're really drawing it out at this point. Like, come on, guys, we get this. Finally, you see Perry dead on the stairs. Now the cops are questioning all of the ladies, and everybody's claiming Perry fell. The lady detective is like, I'm so sick of these fucking lies. We're all like, word, girl, like we are too. But you don't know half of this shit at this point. Yeah. There's a funeral and a scene with all the women and their kids having a nice day at the beach, which is very cathartic after all this pain and trauma we've gone through. We finally get the flashback to the night of the party. The women are all trying to fight Perry off, but he takes some self-defense classes because nobody really knows how to land a killing blow. Thank God Bonnie comes in hot and just pushes Perry down the stairs with all of the uh, force she has. Yeah, like all 98 pounds of her. Yeah. All 98 pounds, but she makes an impact. She also does keep touching her throat in a way that makes maybe us think she's remembering something. You know, Perry does take a spike to the throat, so it could just mm -hmm. be a reaction to what she's seen, but it does seem a little personal, so maybe there's something we don't know about Bonnie. Mm -hmm. Madeline and Bonnie embrace. There's lots of knowing glances shared, especially between Nathan and Madeline, and scene <laughs> that's a lot a lot of things happen so let's start with the kids and the fact that they always know like we we see that the kids are like doing their puzzle or legos or whatever the hell they're doing and um they're hearing celeste get her ass whooped through the heating vent like it we don't even know why she's getting beat this time like she's just trying to take a shower or get dressed or whatever and perry's attacking her in the bathroom 
a devastating shot. I mean, we yeah. don't see the kids' faces at all. We just see the heating vent and mm -hmm. the sound coming through it. And to think this whole entire time these kids have been listening to this is right. just devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that this is kind of that and moment where you know, no. right, you know that they know that they have heard this. And clearly, obviously, now mm -hmm. that we know that Max is the bully, that right. this all one plus one was two. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, so when Ziggy finally sort of spills the tea about Max being the bully is no surprise. But what I really want to know is what's worse, an abusive husband or having to put all that Ikea furniture together by yourself? Like, that bitch did a whole apartment. I like, was I love that she finally cries when she looks at the Ikea instructions <laughs> and is like, I can't do this. Like, yeah, that's the thing that's, that breaks that's what is breaking. Ikea furniture but is what breaks But she has all these, like, wonderful girlfriends that mm -hmm. are, have been supportive. And she, it is, at this point, like, where she has talked to this therapist, this is, like, where... Uh, it really bummed me out that she still isn't able to open up to her friends mm -hmm. and be like, here's where I'm at. Can you come help me assemble some Ikea furniture? <laughs> and that's interesting because in the last episode, I really thought she was going to because one, the therapist tells her, you need to start setting a precedent, telling people about this abuse now. So when it comes time for a trial, like... Perry, slimy lawyers can't fuck exactly. you. And then she, you know... Um, Madeline says to her, like, oh, how are you going to relate to Jane about any of this? Your life is so perfect. And then we see her going out to dinner with Jane. This is post-dick breaking. And mm -hmm. Harry's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going out with Jane. And she just runs out the door. And so at that point, I thought, she's going to go talk to Jane. She's going to relate to her about her abuse and what she's gone through. And then that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, she, she now has someone who understands what she's going through, and she's still not talking to her about it. Right. And I, and the, the whole concept of having to assemble Ikea furniture by yourself <laughs> is... Really hung up on the Ikea yeah. furniture, Carolyn. Oh, my God. Well, because have you ever had to do that? Like, one time I bought, like, a desk chair, mm -hmm. and I had to assemble it by myself, and or a bookshelf or something, or multiple things. Like, I was trying to be this, like, boss bitch and, like... Own it and Ladies build my own office. Yeah. And and I bought all this, like, office furniture. And, like, the irony was it was, like, this takes two people to assemble. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading those instructions and be like, fuck you. I, I can do this myself. I don't need two people. And I I've got into there. it. And I've I was assembled like, mm, an entire people. sectional sofa from Ikea oh, and no. my bed by myself. Like, I was just, like, I'm, I mean, there were extra pieces left over at the end of the sofa. And it may or may not be safe. But whatever. No one's died. It's been several years. And the bed was really tricky because you had to, like, figure out how to, like, get one end to stand yeah. up while the other... I mean, it's right. way too adult yeah. for me. I mean, yeah. yeah. So this scene of I'm her sitting there <laughs> trying to assemble the furniture was one of the most, like, visceral reactions I had in this whole show because, like, not only do you know what she's been through, but you may not be able to relate to everything she's been through to mm -hmm. get to this point, but you can sure as hell relate to this low point she's at right now yeah. looking yeah. at Ikea instructions, which are basically, like, it's like a pictograph yeah. of how to put together this furniture... And then you're just like, I, I don't even know how to get my smorferborfer, whatever yeah. that thing is called, together. <laughs> my smorferborfer. Yeah. <laughs> the wine has worked. <laughs> That's what Ikea furniture is called. I don't know. <laughs> so can we also talk about where she got the money for this apartment without Perry knowing? It makes no sense. Like, does she have Her a secret legal account? Career, maybe? She's got... Does she have a hidden account, though? Like, they don't... 
I, Perry does not strike me as the kind of guy who's okay with separate accounts. He needs yeah, to I did wonder. She does not strike me as the kind of person that is had kept her finances right. separate. But the maybe whole. they're just so rich that you know a six hundred thousand dollar deposit that. really doesn't like. Well, that was the lip. thing. Like, I wondered what the deposit was, and would she, would she have been able to kind of withdraw that amount of money and like kind of disguise it as being for something else? Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that Perry discovers this because the stupid property manager texted her, her. texts well, yeah. at, at, way outside of business hours, like, yeah. don't be doing that, property manager. Yeah, she's But a, I she's have on. questions. Like, I just <laughs> don't understand how the allocation of funds wouldn't have raised an yeah. eyebrow. You assume they're married, they're mm-hmm. sharing finances, that, you know, she has to put down some sort of Did deposit. Did she take out cash, maybe? Maybe she went and took out cash and was like... Perry seems so controlling, though. Well, like, and also, it's not like um, a large amount of time had... It's not like she was going to be able to take out, like, secret small amounts and build up mm-hmm. a cash, res- no. like, reserve mm-hmm. and open up a secret account. Because we know that this time frame is pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where she got the money for this or, you know, how she accessed that, but, and, and plus she's bought furniture, like a lot of stuff. She yeah, bought like kitchen furniture. stuff. And no, it's at Ikea, which has got great sales. Yeah. So. True. But like between the apartment and all the stuff she bought for it. Yeah. Like that would be a huge, uh, a huge debit. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, people. So, one of the other, I think, main questions of this show and this episode is whether or not violence is in the DNA. And I think we're um, getting some idea that it could be in Ziggy's, obviously, but we're seeing that it's definitely in Max's. Although, I I would make the argument that by the end of this, we know it's uh, nurture versus nature in this Mm -hmm. case. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, we, I said earlier, like, Ziggy, you, we, we see Ziggy a lot more, um, than we see Max. Mm -hmm. You know, we see Ziggy interacting with Chloe and Amabella, and we see him interacting with his mom, and, um, we have a much, I feel like I have a much better sense of who Ziggy is than Max, and Ziggy does not strike me as having that violent, Street because he has not been exposed to violence, whereas Max, who we see a little bit less of and now are learning, has this violent streak, and it's because he has been exposed to it. So it does, it does to me kind of confirm nature versus nurture. I always fall on the side of nurture. I think mm-hmm. short of like actual biological illness, that for the most part, it's how you're raised. And Jane is clearly doing an exemplary job, far more than any yeah. of the other parents mm-hmm. of Monterey with raising Ziggy. But I think, you know, you also had to factor in aggression is a biological trait. Mental illness is a biological trait. And I think that it would be a mistake for any of these parents not to take that seriously and not to give these kids the resources they need to work through that. I mean, I think that that is something that hopefully we'll see Oh yeah, and I hope in season two, two everyone's in therapy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my therapist. My only hope for this her show calendar. is that this therapist is ready for the whole <laughs> town of Monterey. Yeah, it yeah. Seems like everybody needs therapy. But the nature versus nurture argument is obviously very interesting, especially with dealing with issues of progeny and you know mm-hmm. the sins of the father and all of that. I think the show has set that up from the start and yet this is the first episode we're really supposed to confront that. Like how much is the sins of the father on the child. Mm-hmm. So let's take a detour into fucking Renato's husband who <laughs> like I love that we've moved yeah. to fucking Renato's husband. <laughs> yes. Like 
He's showing up at the coffee shop, yelling at Jane about poking his wife in the eye, which seems like it's like a week later or something. And then, and it makes no sense. Like, has Renata not told him that she's made peace with Jane and that they're like talking about having a play date? They don't seem to communicate. Yeah, I'm telling you, this guy just tunes out this bitch every time she talks. (laughs) Because that, he, he just is so... She, and, and so my roommate, who I've lived with for like a decade, mm-hmm. Alex, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I told you about this. And he's like, yeah, I've stopped listening to you when you yeah. talk because I will just <laughs> apparently just like tell him like 30 things at once and he can't like sort out he, his man brain just by being a gay man. He's like, it's still a man brain. Yeah. I'm not listening to you. So I get it. I feel this is where I'm the Renata. Like I get it. She probably is telling him like 400 things about his, her day and he has time for not, none of it. Like that he, said, Gordon strikes me as especially disinterested. Mm-hmm. Like, he really just seems to go along with whatever his life is. Like, we don't have any concept of, like, what Gordon actually fucking does. Yeah, he has, like, like an office on a top floor. God does he work, he does. Yeah. Because, like, it, I don't know. It seems He's, like Gordon is He just, strikes me as, like, a smarmy music executive. Although I, I Chloe like is going to own his ass one day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, this scene also sets up... Um, one, I think it's trying to make us think that Gordon could be the killer at this point, which is just like, don't even waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then also it gives coffee shop guy, Tom, an excuse to impress Jane and then get asked out to this stupid fundraiser. And I like this because I, I was always kind of like, what are you talking about, Madeline? I don't think he's gay. And he's, he's so clearly, clearly interested, interested in Jane. Jane. Yeah. yeah, he has been, you know, kind of like lurking on the side of their mm-hmm. conversations, just like waiting for an opportunity. I bet he has all the tea, because he just listens to these people yeah. talk in the coffee shop all day. Like, right. I'd put my money uh, on the coffee shop boy. Which, P.S., is huge and empty all the time, so I don't know how his business is going, despite being waterfront property. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, I feel like he must, He is he the owner? Is this his coffee shop, or is he just the waiter there? I I, don't I think he's the owner. I get the impression that he's I, the owner. You get that impression. I'm not sure, but you I know mean, what? You can't kick someone out when you're just a waiter. True. I, I think you, you could, but yeah. um, I, I do really commend his, like, boldness and finally stepping up and talking to Jane because I feel like this is a town where there's a lot of uh, concept of, like, ranking and social yeah. status, and I think this is somebody who has felt like he is below the social status of this town for a while. Like, he has clearly known these women. He serves yeah. them coffee. They come, to, they come to his business. He talks to them. They have pleasant exchanges. But, like, Madeline clearly sees him as someone... As the help. I yes. mean, she literally, when she first sees him together at the trivia night, in air quotes, she's like, I'm sorry, you cannot call this soiree. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Night. We'll get yeah. into but that mess. she looks at him and goes, huh, really? And then within five minutes of that, she's asking him to get him for a drink. Yeah. I mean, she literally, like, defaults him back into waiter mode. Mm-hmm. And he's like, cool, I'm here. How the other half lives. But here we are. Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited to see in season two where Jane and coffee shop guy go. Like, where this relationship goes yeah. from here. Mm-hmm. Especially after their very traumatic and exciting first date at this event. They so can ride their bikes around together and Uber all over the place, even though she has a car that they could have just taken, but whatever. Well, I guess it's responsible to Uber to an event where yes. you probably are going to be drinking. Mm-hmm. Or murdering people. Or right. Murdering. Yeah. Yeah. As one does. What were you going to say? 
I was just going to say that it seems from the season two trailer there's mm-hmm. a new man on Jane's radar. There's like oh. some sexy surfer guy, which I'm bummed about. Mm. I don't want Jane to end up with a sexy surfer Oh, I didn't surfer get that douche. from the... I thought that was just some guy like talking to her and being like, hey, you're one of those ladies. Yeah, I have a horrible feeling that yeah. she's going to lose Tom for like some surfer douche. That'll she's like, suck. Jane, don't do that. But this is all conjecture. All right, let's get into this ridiculous fundraiser, which is... Ridiculous. I, it is so Audrey like, and Elvis. It is Audrey and Elvis, but it is also trivia night. But also, we don't see any trivia. It's just like it's appropriation with a of trivia. Yeah, okay, so I assumed because I was trying to reason with this that it is called trivia night because in the past they had done trivia, mm-hmm. and now the competition rather than doing trivia they have decided that it is karaoke is the competition because okay. they all were rehearsing their karaoke acts and remember they say like oh why Bonnie not call is it a karaoke really... night then yeah. because they didn't want to like break from tradition I feel like these people in this town really have a lot of trouble with transition and change <laughs> so they kept <laughs> very true <laughs> they kept the trivia night aspect of uh, in, as, in so much as the name but this year's competition is all about that uh, karaoke and because they're all they've been mm-hmm. practicing and like right. he even says at one point he's like have you heard Bonnie sing like she's really good mm-hmm. as if like this is they are implying that there is going to be some sort of winner from this karaoke right. well can we talk about this karaoke for a minute because it is not karaoke they are singing with a yeah. live band this who, isn't lip syncing yeah so who somehow know the arrangement to all these songs that these rando people are just showing because I think singing. it is rehearsed I think that there was like Probably because all these people you think yes, because that's why, and then that makes sense why Ed was like rehearsing and picking a song. Mm-hmm. I think they had to show because you can't just like sing with a live band. Where did this band band come from? Yeah. Like, where are these musicians heralding from? They would have had to have like the people who were singing had to like register to be doing karaoke that night and had to probably show up at a, a, at a tech dress time. rehearsal, a sound check. Yeah, that is my guess as somebody in the performing industry that I need receipts. Like, what is happening? (laughs) Right. Um, So Perry shows up at this thing to attack everyone, Mm -hmm. and Jane recognizes him. A brawl ensues. As we said, these women don't know how to fight except verbally. Well, yeah. So remember, like, Bonnie's, like, awkward, like, self-defense slash yoga slash dance class that Mm -hmm. she taught. So I... (laughs) I feel like uh, that I my prediction, one of my predictions for season two is that Bonnie will be teaching self-defense classes. Okay. Her studio will expand and they will Good all prediction. be in these self-defense classes. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like, their fighting did seem frantic, which I think I get on that emotional level. But I feel like if three of us had to face a man who had attacked one of us, or a friend, I feel like I would be a much stronger contender in the battle than any of these women. I don't think mm-hmm. that any of these women have had any sort of precedent to fight. I mean, I haven't had precedent Somebody. to fight, but I feel like I could do a lot better. Yeah. I also think that the heat of the moment... Hell, like, be... Jane took down Renata, got her True. right in the eye, allegedly. Yeah. Jane couldn't get a square punch in here, so... I also think the way it's filmed, we're getting, again, like, these synaptic mm-hmm. shots of action. So we're, we're not, not seeing, seeing the, the whole story. shot. 
So and, and they're you know, all dressed up like for some reason Madeline is just in a shirt. Like, what Audrey yeah. Hepburn movie is she? Breakfast wearing? at Tiffany's. Okay. I did really appreciate okay. that she is okay. wearing the Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like I really appreciated that, that we're not a chose my fair lady. I yeah. thought that was and very I, on brand. I'm confused because she when she gets up and I think leaves the coffee shop or something she says I need to go get like all my fair lady or something like that and so I was like. I don't Assuming. Yeah. 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 I was confused. Yeah. No. Um, she is wearing, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Audrey Hepburn's character, Holly Golightly. Um, has, there's like this morning, great morning wake up scene where she is wearing like a shirt from one of her Johns, what you assume. It's like a tuck shirt from some mm-hmm. guy. And uh, she has this great like sleep mask and it's... It's, it's such a great scene. She wakes up and her cat named Cat is like crawling all over her mm-hmm. and waking her up. It's like one of my favorite scenes in that movie. So I yeah. super appreciated the look that Madeline turned Mad out. Mad props for Madeline. Yeah, yeah. And and plus like it was such like an original choice. Like if you're going yeah. to an event where it's all the women are going to be Audrey's and all the mm-hmm. men are going to be Elvis. Plus I was kind of shocked that no women showed up as Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I actually like if, if I was like the writer for the show I would have for sure... At least had, Bonnie. Yeah, or Madeline wearing also, like Colin and Madeline Elvis look. supposed to be? I no, Madeline was the. Was I'm, the I'm sorry, not Madeline. Bonnie. Bonnie was uh, in Audrey Hepburn. She was also like a Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. They they a lot of that. I mean, that's kind of like classic mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn. I just I couldn't place. You're it. either gonna be, like, I guess, like my fair she, lady. Because she still had on a very Bonnie dress, so I. Was well, like, I yeah, she did have. Um, she did, for sure. So, we also start get, getting... Well, I don't actually think this is the first inkling we get that Bonnie may have some prior abuse in her past. We see her keep sort of touching her throat. She When she see She sees um, Perry and Celeste fighting, and she seems concerned and, like, wants to know what's going on. And she could just be nosy, but I also think she recognizes abuse when she sees it. And... Um, Back at that scene where Ed comes to her at the yoga studio, he says something about baggage, and she says, we all have baggage, and he kind of gives her a look, and she's like, never mind, and just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we're going to find out Bonnie has some serious abuse in her past that we don't know Or is another potential victim of Perry. This is one Mm -hmm. of another moment that I misremembered. Like, Mm -hmm. I really thought there was a moment where Bonnie copped to having some sort of abuse in her background before mm-hmm. this happens. Just, like, created this whole I have show. Created, I swear, like, the first time I watched this, I was not super attuned to what was going on. So the second time, I was expecting this moment where Bonnie says, like, oh, I was, you know, raped in college or something, mm-hmm. and that never happens. Maybe and that'll happen in season two. Maybe you were having, were like, there. psychic predictions. The cues were there. there. Yeah. The fact that Bonnie's reactions when she sees this is to get involved as opposed to say, like, this is just another domestic nonsense mm-hmm. of Monterey. Like, she really does start to bristle and pick up in a very visceral way. Like, something mm-hmm. is off here. Like, something... And she's personally invested at that point. I mean, it takes a lot for someone to run up and push somebody mm-hmm. down a flight of stairs. Yeah. Like, Especially when it's, like, a group of women who are not... You're not particularly like in that group. Like yeah. that is not your close knit. But to be fair, if anybody saw that level of violence, mm-hmm. like, but she started moving towards she them was, before she Perry was, came at Celeste. Yeah, she has this like kind of moment where she's like, "What's happening here?" And it, yeah. is it just the meddling instincts of Bonnie that we kind of talk about? Or does about? she have a personal or is investment? It, yeah, season two will tell us. Yeah, hopefully. 
So one of the questions I have at the end of this episode is like, why won't this detective just let this shit go? She is so mad at these ladies. And it's like, even if they're lying to you about exactly what happened, like it's clear, pretty clear that Perry's a monster and no one cares that he's dead. Why do you? But like, I guess she doesn't know that he's a monster. Mm-hmm. I, we don't really know what they all told her. Like Celeste mm-hmm. may not have admitted to the abuse because as we know, Celeste right. is still kind of grappling with how to handle this and how to but handle... But she, sa- she says to the detective in the short little snippets that we see, she's like, he was kicking me mm-hmm. and as he went to kick me again, he but lost my balance. He lost she doesn't balance. Ne- that doesn't necessarily imply that she told her the history of abuse, which no. would change... Uh, which could change everything and also then give the detective fuel to think that it could have been premeditated. I think mm-hmm. it's all just justification for the title. She literally says, I'm so sick of these fucking lies. Mm-hmm. I like was expecting her to say, I'm so fucking sick of these big little, little lies. Yeah. And Cut to black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, I think that the detective not letting this go helps fuel the potential of a second season, A, right. because now we have this investigation to look forward to. Uh, B, you're looking at a, a detective who, you know, now maybe this detective is going to be a character that we're building again, mm-hmm. like kind of getting more, uh, more plot to, to fuel on going forward. And then, um, also if I was a detective looking at this scenario, I would also be intrigued. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, there's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. This is this crazy event everyone's dressed like Audrey and Elvis Mm -hmm. some lady's husband is dead all these women were standing there they're all kind of like covering something for each other she's calling VH1 she's like I've got a hot concept for you yeah I got a true crime the real housewives of Monterey yeah so I mean I understand why her antenna is up on this and she's wanting more so, and the other thing I keep thinking is, like, this is so clearly, like, an accident self sa- slash self-defense. Like, I don't necessarily think Bonnie's intention was to push him down the stairs. It was just to, to push, push him, him off. Yeah. Right. And so, like, why lie about what happened? And I yeah. think that's what season two is going to be I about. I think it's appearances. But, I think mm-hmm. that there's this aversion to actually dealing with the fact that like Perry has been systemically abusive mm-hmm. and Celeste has covered this up. I think it trickles down to all of them that, you know, Madeline, you're her purported best friend. You didn't pick up on any of this. It's exactly mm-hmm. what the therapist said that mm-hmm. Perry's lawyers are going to turn around and be like, well, she's always said that Perry's such a good husband and such yeah. a good father. I think that there's that implication that nobody's backed this up and that she's going to get screwed. There's also, so, like, at the end of this, there's a lot of hugging and nodding going on. Like, (laughs) everybody giving each other knowing glances. And I think, especially, um, Madeline goes to hug Ed, and uh, Bonnie and Nathan are hugging, and... It's kind of like that wrap-up of this, like, bizarre, happy ending. Well, I think, so, so Madeline and Nathan sort of exchange this look where I'm, like, they're saying, like don't worry, we're going to make sure right. Bonnie doesn't go to jail. Kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. But it all it all had that feeling of, um, you know, like, it, what it reminded me of is it, it weird. You know, like, the Muppets, when they finish a song, they all, like, look at each other and, like, nod and are, like, yeah. excited. They're yeah. like, oh, yeah, we did good, we did good. That's what this reminded me of. Like, they're mm-hmm. all, like, looking at each other like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that was good. That was good, guys. Um, nice job, Fraggle Rock. Um, I, I don't know. There was something, some weird, like, 
wrap it all up and tie it with a bow. Yeah. Everything about this from like the beach scene with all the moms and their kids mm -hmm. to this like knowing, nodding and hugging. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I felt like there was, it was a little too happy. I mean, I felt that there were moments that undercut the happiness when Celeste, you know, this is, the fact that this is all kept completely silent except for Celeste's words. I mean, the last four or five minutes is in complete silence. It's just beautiful September mm -hmm. song mm -hmm. playing over it. And there's a scene at the funeral at the end where Celeste touches Jane's face and you can clearly mm -hmm. say her lips say, like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we haven't really thought about that. The relationship between Celeste and Jane is has changed in this way that they are bonded forever and also it's got to be fucking awkward between the two of them like, like sorry husband. i married the guy who yeah, yeah. like also yeah. like god i mean there's just so much with that that is impossible to grapple with and the fact that we finally get the truth of this incident mm -hmm. juxtaposed with these waves crashing and there has been this constant theme of waves against mm -hmm. rocks and this mm -hmm. whole metaphor of yeah. water hitting a solid surface. everything crashing and I think that end scene, to me, is, you know, there's some cheesiness to it for sure, but it's also a very cathartic final scene that all these women are on the beach. They're looking at each other as equals for the first time. The kids are all playing without this undertone of, like, who's doing who. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful in a way that really made me feel like this was a complete finished thought. Mm -hmm. And when they initially announced that they were going to do a season two, I was really resistant to that because it felt like that final moment was such a complete like mm -hmm. bow on the story. And yes, there were some unfinished, untied loose ends, but I was okay with letting them kind of just drift in the wind and deal with this ending. And when they initially announced season two, I was like, I don't know if I really want to like dive back into this heavy, heavy world mm -hmm. and like unpack more of the motivations. But then they announced Meryl Streep was attached, and I was like, okay, I'm All right, in. I mean, well, see, I was excited from the get-go because I did feel, I felt like this was, like, the act one, where, like, oftentimes in a play, like, act one ends in a, has all this stuff yeah. happen, and it ends in this happy so place, but you're, there's still this feeling of it being unfinished, like, you know there's more to come, like, yeah. the second foot hasn't dropped yet, mm -hmm. so that's what I'm excited to see. Uh, happen here in season two. I feel like there is, um, we're kind of just like halfway through this journey. This is mm -hmm. sometimes that like happy moment where, you know, it could end happily ever after right here, but it won't. <laughs> I want a spinoff of Chloe and Ziggy's struggles as like a young up and coming indie band. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what I'm ready for. So as long as we're talking about season two, one of the things, so, um, I want to make some predictions. So I think that the reason these ladies are lying is to cover up for, uh, for Bonnie. I think not because, because it seems such a clear cut, um, self-defense slash accidental, uh, accidental death that no one would ever charge her with anything. So I think there's something in Bonnie's past where she was the victim of some kind of violence and she fought back and something else has already happened. Mm -hmm. Like, she's got something in her past Absolutely. that we don't know about. And that's why they're all lying for her. I agree with that. I think we are going to find more about Bonnie. Um, so, Meryl Streep is playing the Perry's mother mom. of Perry. Mm -hmm. When I heard that, that was, I was like even more all in. Because the arrival of the mother of a monster. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. we have, I mean, there was Played all this... Played by Meryl. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, like, let's let's just ignore that fact for the moment. But, like, we had all this talk with, like, family tree and is, like, DNA creating a monster, like, nature versus nurture. And with all these characters, we really have no sense of history. We've talked about that. Like, we don't really know necessarily where they come from or have met any of their family beyond, you know, their immediate family. family. Yeah, their nuclear family. So now we, for the first time, have a character that represents the past and where a character came from. And I think that that, and it, and it happens to be the character who is the monster. And, like, mm-hmm. you know... It, and she wants to know what happened to her son. She's also a mother. Like right. Like all these other characters. Exactly. And now victimized. it's, like, humanizing this, like, victim who, in some ways, we are very excited to see... But we also are coming at it for viewers with this, like, bias. Like, this is the mother of... Heinous Perry. She must mm-hmm. be some sort of bitch if she mm-hmm. created this monster. Right. So who is she going to be? Yeah. And the fact that it's Meryl Streep, like, I mean, we would all watch Meryl Streep do, like, anything. Like, if, it, if I found out that Meryl Streep was going to be taking a shit live on HBO, I would watch that. <laughs> who wouldn't? I mean, yeah. I'd be right. the first one signed up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that is... This has got to be something interesting. Have either of you seen August Osage County? Yes. No. Meryl Streep is. I am living for Meryl Streep yeah. in that movie. She is a she is a nightmare. That's she what she's is, gonna channel. Yeah, like, and if she is half as hilarious and horrible as she was in that movie, I will be so excited. So my question for us is: the last seconds of the show. The scene pans out and it's clearly somebody's watching them through binoculars on mm. the beach. Who do we think that is? I think the detective. The detective, because don't you hear the click of her? She has that like fidget with her um, her lighter. Her lighter and you hear the oh, fidget. See, I didn't pick up on that because yeah. I thought it could be like six other people. Because I'm telling you that amazing actress who plays the detective deserves more screen time and anything and everything. She's like a young Meryl Streep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, I was going through like the because the last sound you hear is like that click click yeah, of her yeah, lighter. Click click. Uh-huh. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. Yeah, I've. It, it's an interesting. I, I mean, they made her a woman. I think they made her a woman for a reason. Oh, but I, I feel like if, as a woman detective, I would just be like, oh, fuck it. There's one bigger more fish to te- fry. Yeah, one more terrible guy off the face of the earth. Like I don't think I care. She's a truth seeker, though. She mm-hmm. doesn't care about morality. She wants to get to the bottom of mm-hmm. the lie. And right. I mean, let's face it, this show is called Big Little Lies. I mean, we're yeah. ultimately moving towards, like, how do we unpack the lies here? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's going to be something interesting to deal with is, like, a female detective going up against all of these powerhouse females. Mm-hmm. You know? it's It would be a very different vibe if that was a male detective going against right. them. That would have this very, after everything they've gone through and what the show is about, like, you couldn't do that. So it mm-hmm. needs to be, well, I know, say, in the book. A, a detective of color, too. Yeah. Right. Mean, like, we are dealing with someone that's not mm-hmm. one of these white, affluent women, mm-hmm. supposedly. Like, this is somebody that is com- coming from a completely different world yeah. than these women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's been one of this series' weak points is that it really hasn't delved too deeply into race, especially I feel mm-hmm. like Bonnie's role as the token African-American mm-hmm. here has been woefully neglected. I mean, there's got to be some implicit bias that's going on here with these affluent, despite the fact that they're progressive. As we all know, mm-hmm. white progressives can often be right. the, you know, the biggest instigators of systemic racism. For sure, yeah. There is not... Uh... 
I mean, I've never been to Monterey. The show made me want to go there for sure. Yeah. So Road I trip don't season two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we get picked up by Minnie Eddie. We'll be broadcasting from Monterey next season. You'll hear the ocean in the background as we <laughs> drink we might our even wine. Just get a white noise machine. I don't know. We'll yeah, <laughs> we'll just say we're in Monterey, but I don't know what you know. I, I'm not sure. Is, is that a town that has a lot of diversity? Probably not. I'm guessing not. Guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that that's something interesting. I but I am I'm sure that that detective is going to be a huge, uh, a huge character in season two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else, ladies? Mm-mm. I'm excited for season two. I didn't think I would be at the yeah. end of season one, but now having seen some of the previews and having spoken with at nauseum with you all, I yeah. think it's going to be exciting. So come back. We're ready. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We'll see you in Monterey. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, you can get help 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-656-HOPE.